I'm Brandon Bartnick, and this is the Future of Mobility Podcast. Safe, sustainable, and equitable mobility solutions. That's what this is all about. With the climate situation as it is right now, plus many other factors, it's never been more important for us to continue to improve the sustainability of the way that we're moving goods and people. At the same time, we need to improve safety for drivers and pedestrians, and we need to get these solutions in the hands of the people who need them need them most. So that's what I cover. Primarily interviews, I'm talking to the people who are developing and implementing, covering these technology solutions. Also, my day job, this podcast is brought to you by FEV. FEV is your complete vehicle engineering partner for sustainable energy and mobility solutions. We're the engineering technology partner behind a lot of what you see on the road and elsewhere. Shoot me a note if you want to learn more. Check out FEV.com. Check us out on LinkedIn. Today is an exciting special episode. So typically these are interviews you hear which are recorded just for the podcast, used for the podcast. This is a little different in that what you're actually going to hear is audio from the first ever Future of Mobility live event. So on a few days ago, November 11th, 2021, we recorded the first, it brought together and then recorded the the first ever live Future Mobility event focused on investing in sustainable mobility. So this brought together people from throughout the industry, whether engineers, people investing, startup founders, a a wide wide mix of people came together who are all working towards the same objective of making transportation, making mobility more sustainable. And the objective was twofold. So one, I'm strongly of the opinion that these are very challenging, important problems that cannot be solved alone. We need to work together. So there's a intense focus on collaboration within this, this, uh, this session. So designed to bring together people like-minded people working towards similar objective through networking sessions opportunities to make connections and hopefully plant the seeds for for future collaboration in addition to that we had a panel discussion featuring two two great guests and the, the panel discussion is what you're going to hear here and that was focused on having an open transparent discussion about the state of the industry where we should be thinking about trying to make the biggest impact and then how we can actually succeed and make make that happen so two, two main guests, which you're here, I, I won't introduce them in, in too much detail um, because I, I introduced, once you're here in the, the panel discussion, I introduced them in, in detail. But Chris Thomas, so episode 49, this is Chris's second appearance on the Future Mobility Podcast. That episode that we did earlier, one of my favorite of the, of the podcast so far, I highly recommend checking out if you haven't. And he really delivered again here. Um, awesome guy, founder of Assembly Venture and done a t- ton of other really cool stuff that I, I touch on in the in the conversation, then the other guest, Gabriel Shear. So that's his, this is his first time appearing on the Future Mobility Podcast. I did, however, talk to one of his colleagues, Daniel Harris from Elemental Accelerator, as well, back on episode fifty-seven, which, which similarly, really cool perspective um, that was he was able to share lots of thought-provoking stuff in there. So I, I recommend checking that one out as, as well if you haven't. But um, Gabriel, yeah, this is my first time talking to him, but he, he really delivered as well. So really, really enjoyed this conversation with Gabriel, with Chris. They played off each other well, and I hope you enjoy as well. So if you're listening to this, um, yeah, you, you missed out on, <laughs> most likely missed out on the, the networking live aspect, the ability to ask live Q&A questions, all that type of stuff. Um, great that you're able to hopefully listen to this this audio and still get something out of the event. But uh yeah, if this seems interesting to you, if you're working towards making transportation more sustainable and you're excited about this type of stuff, um, safer, more sustainable, like like in the podcast, um, please make make sure to follow me on LinkedIn. Follow along. This is not the last Future Mobility Live event we're going to do. This is the first, and it's is expected to be a regular series every I don't know, two, two, three months, something like that. So shortly after the new year, we should be having another exciting event. Reviews I have gotten so far, very positive, definitely learned some things and will be continuing to improve going forward. But I, uh, yeah, I, I really hope you consider joining and following along if you, if you didn't uh, catch this one. So with that being said, please enjoy, I guess, this panel discussion with Chris Thomas and Gabriel Shear from the first ever Future Mobility Live event. Now we can we can get into kind of the, the panel discussion, uh, talking with with Chris and Gabriel. So I'll give give some background. So so Chris, uh, I guess you you can correct me on 
<laughs> on your bio if I miss anything here. But so, so Chris is co-founder and partner at Assembly Ventures, which is the first transatlantic mobility fund in the world based in Detroit and Berlin. Prior to Assembly Ventures, he co-founded the Detroit Mobility Lab and Michigan Mobility Institute, entities dedicated to helping Detroit become one of the world's foremost future mobility ecosystems and creating the future of mobility talent in North America. Prior to those two, co-founded Fontanales Partners and for over a decade worked to build it into one of the premier investment firms in next generation mobility. Walt Fontanales participated in some of the largest exits in the mobility space, including Newtonomy, Caramba Security, ParkMe, ParkMobile, Life360, Ouster, and Smart Cargo. And he was also, which I guess is particularly relevant today as it's Veterans Day in the, in the U.S., so appreciate you calling in today, Chris, uh, was a communications officer in the U.S. Army, inc- including service in, uh, in Iraq while he was, while he was doing so. So pr- appreciate the service. And I would say the, the last thing, uh, this is a second appearance on the Future Mobility Podcast. So if you haven't, uh, if you haven't listened episode 49, I strongly recommend one of my favorite conversations that I've had to date. No, thanks, Brandon. That's, that's perfect. Cool. And I'll, I'll real quick, give some, some background on Gabriel as well. So Gabriel Shear, the other, other guest here. So Gabriel is director of innovation at Elemental Accelerator, working with the organization's energy and mobility portfolio companies and partners. He leverages his deep experience with mobility, renewables, and energy efficiency to help companies grow and thrive with the aim of shifting the global paradigm away from carbon-based solution. Prior to Elemental, Gabriel worked for three different micromobility companies and was on the founding team at Lime as the first government relations staffer. He also previously served as general manager for car sharing company Zipcar, and he spent three years at Frog Design and built his own social innovation consultancy. So this is Gabriel's first appearance on the show. I spoke with Gabriel's uh, colleague, though, Daniel Harris, on episode 57 of the podcast, similarly, which uh, was a particularly memorable and and delightful conversation. So uh, part of the reason these two uh, individuals here, I I think, is tying back to to how, how much I enjoyed both those conversations. So uh, yeah, Gabriel, thanks for joining. Any, anything I, I missed or messed up in your bio? Glad to be here. Thank you. Okay, cool. So we, we can dive right in here. I know we don't have, a, don't have a ton of time to talk here. So I think the first thing would be interesting. I, I, the, the theme here is investing in sustainable mobility. And I think if you've been following the market, there's, there's no shortage in funding. There's no shortage in companies who are looking for funding. Also companies that are providing funding in, in different ways. Um, so I'd be curious to, to, to hear from both of you guys how you, what you think makes your perspective unique and what were the, the um, special value is that you provide. And, and Chris, I, I'll, I'll start with you and I'll, I'll provide a little bit more context. So from our conversation, two of the things that our last, uh, our last conversation, two of the things that stood out was one, the, the way you think about the framework. So you, you've said that uh, case is not only incorrect, but dangerous. You, you called it right. So it connected autonomous autonomous, shared, and electrified, not, not necessarily the right way to think about it. You, you propose an ISA framework, ISA, mm-hmm. infrastructure systems applications, which uh, I'll stop there. If it, I know you've talked about it before. And then the other, the other interesting thing that stood out to me was your, let's say, in, insistence on the importance of uh, the industrial centers, the established industrial centers of the rest, Western world and the, the role that they could play in this space. So that being said, those, uh, whether it's one of those two topics, something else, what, what do you think kind of is the, the unique secret sauce or whatever that you, you're providing um, at Assembly Ventures? No, it's, it's, a, it's a great first question. And I think the framework that any one of us or us together as a community approach how we're going to be sustainable investors is super important. And it's not something that necessarily is talked about a lot. We talk about amazing entrepreneurs, amazing, amazing individual business plans that are addressing a component part of But what we tried to do is step back and say, what is the right way to maximize impact, to maximize value creation, and to ensure that we're actually bringing the right stakeholders together? So as you pointed out, Brandon, we don't believe it's CASE or ACES because you have kind of this convolution of of both business plans and technology platforms. We put forth something called ISA with I infrastructure at the bedrock of the future of mobility, both physical and digital, the systems layer that connects the, the physical and the digital, kind of the bytes and the atoms, the heartbeat of the system, if you will, and the application layers that allow us for customer interaction and monetization. And so when it comes to sustainability, I guess the way that I would kick off the discussion, and I think Gabriel has a unique background as well, so I'm excited to see how kind of the back and forth. I'm very, and I guess over the last decade, you've seen a lot of investors very focused on auto tech as a segment or logistics as a segment, and there's nothing wrong with that. But we're big believers that it's the intersections of these huge events or these huge segments globally that are going to find the most innovation, 
the most value and the most impact. So when I look at traditional auto, new auto suppliers, pure tech, infrastructure providers, insurance and financial tech, you know, kind of providers and the, the incumbents in those spaces, I'm looking at where are the companies that are doing things that will serve many of them at the same time. And then the other thing that I'm very focused on are what are the second and third order effects of the investment that you're making today? So if you think, I, I was just in Dubai last week and I had the chance to talk about kind of the future of autonomy as well as the future of, of kind of investing in this space. And one of the questions I got after the fact was, you know, are, are autonomy really going to bring us huge impacts to sustainability? And my answer was not yet. And I think it's because we have to think about the, the vehicle propellant is electrified. We have to think about the overall energy supply chain and how that energy is being created. We have to think about what are we tracking and the mobility options we're giving to consumers and, and not in any way to force anyone into a specific mode or, or point to point, but to provide options that frankly are just more economical and have a better impact overall. So I think for us, it's very important to be holistic and to do so not only with the investments we're making, but with the partnerships we're striking. And I think we're seeing a really fantastic time right now where entrepreneurs have much more power to negotiate the types of, of, of investors they bring on because they're, they're the ones that are holding, frankly, the keys to the kingdom uh, that really have a chance to make a lot of change. Yeah, and Gabriel, I'll be uh, in interested to hear your opinion, I guess, with the other context I would offer. So, so one of the things from uh, the discussion with Danielle that really stood out was uh, how you guys are really focused on, yeah, the technology creation is great, but the successful implementation and what this actually looks like is a bedrock of, of how you're actually approaching this. So I'm curious to hear what, what's, how do you, how are you thinking similar to what Chris and what else, where were you maybe differing to on this approach? Yeah, you, you captured it really well, actually, Brandon, in the sort of wrap there, which is, yes, the technology, yes, the entrepreneurs, we're very strong believers in the entrepreneurial ability to change things and the need for that. The uh, piece we would add to that would be the uh, sort of, and you, you mentioned intersection, Chris, uh, the intersection with communities, the places where this technology will actually be deployed, the people who will be impacted by the technologies we're deploying, uh, how will we engage with that? We have a model called the Square Partnerships model, which really looks at sort of you know, there's, there's the technology piece, there's the funding piece, there's the customer piece, and then there's the other, the community around the technologies that are being deployed. And I think a lot of this is how do we make our communities better? How do we make things work better using these new technologies, using the massive amounts of funding that are going into it? I mean, you, you mentioned earlier the funding. Um, this year, if you're, if you're kind of paying attention, the, the amount of money, VC money going into mobility tech is just crazy. You know, 70 plus billion dollars is by some estimates this year alone. So I mean, amazing amounts of money how will it impact the communities that are actually served by or around the things that are being deployed? It's one of the big, big things we look at. Chris, it, it, sound, it seemed like when you were hearing that, maybe you had something to say, but anything you want to add there? Otherwise, I could. I could no, no, I, I, I think that's spot on. I think, I think what you're hearing from both of us, which is always exciting for me, is that it's about bringing together genuine stakeholders that have that believe in maybe not the exact same mission, but many of the same outputs. And I think that's what I get excited about with the, the capital that's coming in today. I remember 12 years ago when, you know, when I founded my first firm and we were the first firm really investing in mobility. And I tell people that and they're like, oh, you're investing in telephony. Uh, and, that, and I'm like, no. And, and, and they're like, well, that, you know, you're, you're investing in something that makes no sense. Why would you invest in transportation with long lead times and governmental sales cycles and no upside? And that's, that paradigm has completely changed, which is good. And, and now we have a chance, I think, with those resources to have an impact that is both, you know, a great investment, but of equal importance, a great outcome. And Gabriel, I'd be curious to get your thoughts. So, so hearing about uh, hearing about this, I think makes it makes a ton of sense to me. And think about it this holistically, taking a systems level view, kind of of the the mobility, and I think taking a, the approach of how what's the most efficient way for goods, people, data to to move, as opposed to thinking about in terms of technology is uh, makes a ton of sense. But it also I'd say the implementation is the degree of complexity is significantly higher when we start thinking in these terms. And uh, like I think of someone like like Lime, right, or a micro mobility company. If if you have the goal of just let's get scooters out there and have as many rides as possible, that's a pretty cut and dry goal that you can work towards and you can check the box and you can make meaningful progress. But that's also not what you're talking about. You guys are talking about here, right? It's you guys are talking about how are we actually making an impact and how are we playing, how are these companies playing a role 
within the greater ecosystem. So how, how do you try to balance when, when you're thinking in this holistic term, how, how do you try to actually make sure you're making progress? Your question is perfect, right? Because with Lime, when you look at when we first launched, we were a Lime bike at the time uh, and we started deploying vehicles and they, you know, I was hired the, the second month of the company's existence. So we were already thinking from the beginning about engaging with government. We need to be engaged with policymakers and helping figure out how does this solve bigger goals than just revenue for this company or you know, rides for this specific customer. As we, as we deployed, I think the central thesis and certainly my, my sort of effort was, as I talked to government officials, look, we're gonna collect data off of these bikes that are rolling through your city. And we're gonna share that data with you. And that's gonna enable you to make new decisions around infrastructure planning. For example, you'll see that rides went here and there, and maybe they jogged around this particular place. What does that tell us? Is there a, a barrier to riding safely in that area? What's, what's going on in your city? Uh, and some cities immediately got it. I remember speaking to one mayor in particular where within a minute, she was like, wait a minute, you're telling me you'll get new constituents riding who will validate my assumptions around where we want to go and where we want to build better infrastructure. It's like, yes. Uh, and she said, great. How fast can we, can we go? Uh, other cities had a harder time really getting their heads around it. You know, you're, you're, you're capturing data and yeah, we already know where people ride. We've got, you know, we've done surveys and stuff and, and that's true. But I think to your point, the ecosystem, I was certainly naive going in with Lime thinking, boy, we'll provide this data and everything will change. Uh, and, you know, we, we saw ridership, right? We, we, we proved that there is demand or you could induce demand for this different mobility option and this different way of getting around. Um, what we didn't see necessarily was the policy support to go with it. So many cities saw immediately the externalities. And I mentioned communities in my first sort of piece of this. Um, you know, we, we saw people adopt this and a lot of people were really happy about it. It also created new problems, right? People left them in odd places, intentionally or otherwise, which created barriers for people who had sight difficulties, for example. Uh, sometimes they were hung from trees, which is simply weird. Uh, we, we saw all sorts of stuff, intentional and otherwise, again, uh, but it's, it's creating these external things in the community, which, you know, new problems to solve, solvable problems in many cases. Um, but to solve some of the bigger picture problems, specifically around parking or sidewalk riding, takes collaboration across ecosystem partners. So, you know, the companies can do a certain amount. All the companies out there in micromobility are trying to figure out how do we geofence, how do we control where people can go. But at the end of the day, we need better infrastructure to support this stuff. Right? We need parking, designated parking areas or technology to guide parking behaviors. And you see some interesting examples from startups like Drover, for example, is pushing people to park in certain ways. I don't know if that's the right solution, frankly. I really think a lot of it comes down to parking infrastructure provided by cities, just like we have for cars. Uh, the same thing around parking riding, right? People jump to sidewalk riding because they don't feel safe in the, in the car side right of way. So that tells us we need safer infrastructure. And so again, how can we use the data that these companies can provide partnered with ecosystem partners uh, for, for telling us where to go and where it would be safe to place things. And then the city side, the policy side. And I think this can be extrapolated across a lot of different industries. It's great to sort of innovate technology and we created this new thing, but how does it fit into the greater ecosystem? What challenges will it create and who do we partner with to solve some of those challenges? And Brandon, just one thing that I'd double tap, and I think Gabriel, you're, you're spot on with that need to focus on infrastructure. And it's still something that we're not seeing in our opinion nearly enough focus on. So you have incumbent providers that are looking to go after these types of new ways of, of digitizing, but they ne don't necessarily have the technology in-house to do that. So some are going down these big, big build processes when we would argue that there's near-term partnerships available with really innovative young startups. And let's figure out ways to actually get more bang for our buck with, within an established kind of, you know, geofence or whatever, wherever they're deploying to, to do things faster. And I think Vince, the work that you're, you're working on, we talked about this little in the breakout session, like how are we thinking about traditional propulsion and fueling within kind of a, a pieces of real estate that they don't need to think about this tomorrow, they have to think about it today. And that's where we get really excited in, in seeing that, that intersection between the old and the new and ways in which the incumbents can really become, in our opinion, the champions of the digitization of infrastructure, but there has to be a focus on them. And actually, can I build yeah, on that for a second, Brandon? I think one of the things that's really interesting, again, is it's easy to fixate on technology. We can solve this problem with technology. We can solve that problem. And that's, that's true. We do need a lot of that, right? Like I think estimates I've seen is something like 35% of carbon solutions haven't been created yet. 65% we can use existing technology. But I think a big piece of things is helping your average person or your policymaker cross what I consider to be kind of an imagination gap to see how this actually makes anything better. How does this make my life better? 
so for example, you know, with, with bikes, when we first rolled those out, we had a, a backlash immediately against bikes because there are people who just don't like bikes for whatever reason, particularly in the United States. With scooters, we didn't see that in the beginning. At the beginning of scooters, I, I would say almost always the reaction was, whoa, this is cool. Um, and I think a lot of it's because either you were a kid when you had a Razor scooter or your friends had Razor scooters or you had a kid or a grandkid. And so you could kind of relate to it in a way that was fun and different. Um, and it helped people kind of jump across that gap of why would I want to do this? Well, the why is because it's fun. It makes my life somehow better. And of course, we had backlash combo scooters and, you know, all sorts of externalities. I'm not pretending that they're perfect. However, what we saw at the beginning was people were able to jump over that, that imagination gap to how this could make my life better, which I think is a lot of what technology needs to sell in a lot of these cases is how does this help the communities in which it's deployed? It's not just a technology solution. It's not just about VC dollars. It's about how do we make life better? Yeah, I think great, great thoughts. And I'd be curious then tr trying to tie this into kind of the, the day to day, as I understand of, of uh, what you guys are doing and trying to identify the companies who you, you want to invest in and support and help help them achieve success. So maybe Chris, starting with you, how? So it's, it's great. You have this this framework in place. You're, you're thinking about things in a, in a given way, which I think makes a lot of sense. You guys are on uh, agreeing. Like, how, how does this actually go into practice for you? How, how are you finding the the founders, the companies who are doing the things that align with your mission, who and who also are setting themselves up for commercial success, so that you guys on the back end are successful as well. Sure. And so I, I think we start with the framework, as I talked about before, and like you know, how are you choosing to look at the world so as to maximize impact and outcome? And you know, using ISA as a as that initial framework, we're then looking at where each company falls and what are the attributes that they have like as any investor would. So this is going to be, you know, the, the TAM that they're going after, the, 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 uh, the team. Are they multiple founders? Do they have different attributes? Um, the syndicate, if they've accepted capital previously, um, the way in which they're deploying in the overall product. But we're also looking at, you know, what are the, again, what are those second, third order effects from a sustainability perspective that are important? And so we are not an impact fund by design. But we are a fund in which every investment that I make, I want to make sure that there are amazing men and women, and they're they're creating amazing impact in the places where they're deploying products. So one example of this, our first uh, our first investment we just announced a couple of weeks back, is a company called Our Next Energy One AI, um, based in Metro Detroit, and we invested alongside a remarkable syndicate of investors, Breakthrough Energy Ventures, which is Bill Gates's kind of you know forward going energy uh, kind of focused VC. Um, BMW, Volta out of Chicago, which is looking at chemical composition across a variety of different use cases, but with a focus on battery and flex between Singapore and San Francisco, which is probably the, the best known technology manufacturer uh, in that space. But the reason we invested in this is that they're looking at two really important things. The hybridization of forward going batteries that allow for differentiated chemical components to be used in the same battery, where you have a daily driver, which maybe needs something that's much less energy dense, and something that's more expensive that increases range, but together it makes for a very good ROI, but also increases range in a, in a really substantial way. But two, from a, a kind of a composition of chemical perspective, looks to root out components that are either, you know, outside of the control of our supply chains so that there's ways in which we might not be able to go after them. But two, really from an ethical perspective, look to stop using things like cobalt, which is mined in, you know, in ways in which I, I would say most of us in the West would say we don't want a product that is brought to market in that way. So the fact that you had an amazing team of Apple and global automotive entrepreneurs, you had something that's based in the industrial West that we think will be a key component of the future of propulsion. And we're doing this with a rationale as to how to, you know, frankly, just make the world better. Um, and it sounds a little trite, but it's true. I think all of that together you know, makes in our mind for exactly the type of team we want to back and the people we're excited about working alongside. And, you know, we bring a very unique value because we are subject matter experts in our space. You know, this is the physical and digital movement of, of, of people, goods, data, and energy across air, land, sea, and space. But it's about finding people that know things that you don't. And I think, Gabriel, what you said, I really liked. It's what are, you know, there'll never be another Uber, at least there shouldn't be, that just rolls over um, kind of, you know, the public sector. There needs to be a, a very much a teamwork framework where we can benefit our customers, but we can also benefit you know, our communities. And I, I love companies that, you know, that emulate that, that goal from the get-go. Definitely makes a lot of sense. And I, I want to maybe dive a little, a little deeper there, but um, Gabriel, I'd be 
interested in your thoughts. So, so feel free to, to build on anything Chris said or take it a different direction. How, and it's also interesting in that, uh, so, so cohort nine, right? You guys closed, um, and, and if I can read just on, on the website, the, the five main areas, it, it's a it's a broader space, space, right? Than what we're just talking about here, mobility, where it's, you had to electrify and decarbonize everything, net zero infrastructure, build regenerative land and food systems, design out waste and clean water, clean air. So you're kind of even, zooming out even further in this um in this impact space so how can you speak a bit to um whether it's in your mobility focused area or or elsewhere how, how you guys are thinking about finding the right uh places to back yeah as, as you said not a very under ambitious undertaking uh, <laughs> so elemental obviously does take a much bigger impact focused climate focused approach i think that where we look for opportunity that maybe maybe sets us apart a bit is on the one hand how can we be most catalytic um, we're relatively small, right? We're early stage companies. We're, we're not writing huge checks. Um, so how can we be catalytic to something that needs to come into the world? Second, how do we tie it to communities, particularly communities who maybe are frontline communities who are being impacted by climate uh, or who will be impacted by climate change faster than, than others? Um, how do we serve diverse founders? So really having an emphasis on looking at that. How do we create an ecosystem that can be catalytic for more people than maybe the traditional ecosystem serves in some ways? Uh, when we're looking at, or when I'm looking at companies that we're interested in, in working with, I think things I look for besides, I mean, Chris hit a lot of them, right? Great teams where uh, opportunities to work across sectors. And I was talking about imagination gap earlier, which that speaks to more customer facing or public facing things, which I'm very interested in. I think there are a lot of really interesting opportunities still in a very public Lime-esque way of on the street, in your, in your face kind of technologies. I also think, however, and, and Chris, your example was a great one on this, there are a lot of opportunities to solve things behind the scenes, uh, which is interesting as well. And I, I will say I've got a little bit of maybe it's PTSD of some sort from some of the work that I did uh, working with the public sector on, you know, Lyme and that kind of thing, in part because we were so visible, we attracted so much attention, which isn't always good attention, right? We're a lightning rod for criticism and, and rightly or wrongly, like we got a lot of it. Uh, and, and so what I found was, I, I call them antibodies, there were a lot of antibodies against our success, despite all the things for our success. Um, so I'm really interested as well in finding companies where the antibodies are maybe less uh, in the world, right? Where they're doing something that solves a problem behind the scenes, uh, that maybe is a, a technical, you know, software, hardware, doesn't matter, but something that's happening that many people don't know about and don't care about. There's not a built-in constituency. It's like, oh, we love the status quo. We want to keep it that way. Uh, because there's so many opportunities for that too. We've got a company uh, in cohort 10 that we just launched, New Ventura out of Berlin, super interested in what they're doing. They're working on switch gears for utilities, which probably everybody thinks about all day long every day, uh, said no one ever. Um, but, but the thing that's interesting about them, they're trying to remove a gas, it's called sulfur hexafluorine 6, uh, SF6. This particular gas has a greenhouse warming potential of about 23 and a half thousand times that of carbon. And so in looking at that particular company and this, the problem they're trying to solve, it's thinking, well, there, there aren't a lot of people out here who care lots and lots about SF6. There are some, not arguing that point, uh, but for most random individuals in the world, it's not a thing we ever think about or even know about. If we can reduce it though, or eliminate it, we've reduced a greenhouse gas that has tremendous warming potential. So really interesting to me on how we can solve that sort of problem. Um, but again, there are also lots of visible customer facing in the world, real things that also are interesting. So how do we solve things that are solved, you know, working with frontline communities, uh, working with people who maybe create employment opportunities, that kind of thing. Yeah, real, real quick, I, I noticed, uh, I didn't say this at the beginning, but if you have questions, we'll have a Q&A session. So actually, Chris will need to, to drop off in about 10 minutes to, to catch a train. Um, but Gabriel and I will be here if you, if you have questions. Uh, please write, write them in the chat and we'll be able to address and we'll, we'll have a, a few minutes for kind of audience Q&A. Uh, but, but so maybe the, the follow on question is kind of what, how do you help enable or um, increase the odds of success once, once you select a company where, where, you're, where you're selecting? And maybe, Chris, I think maybe, maybe is a concrete one to thinking, thinking of something like our next energies, right? So, so what, what, what does it look like to, so you've identified, you have this great founding team, they have a technology that makes a lot of sense. Well, what's, what's your role or like, what's, what's the approach that you take to help them enable the odds of making the impact they're trying to make? Yeah, so I, I would offer that there's two, there's two things that someone who's being honest with themselves about where they can bring the most value should be focused on. And one is that upfront work you're doing to really break out and understand the team that's going to be going after this problem and trying to build this company. 
that team doesn't, it, it's never going to be perfect out of the gate. There's always going to be hires you want to make. There's always going to be things that that entrepreneur learns as they go, but you want a high integrity team. You want a team that's open to criticism, that is open to learn. You want a team that's going to stick up for themselves when they know something to be right, even though, because they're the subject matter experts and you want to have a tremendous amount of trust. And all of those things are much easier said than done, but it's about that initial work you're doing at the beginning of the discussion when you're deciding, is this someone who, is this a team? Are these men and women that I'm excited about working with for the next five to seven to 10 years through good times and bad and doing that work really well? But in terms of how can you be the most valuable, that begins when you actually start to put together your team. So like my, I, I'm very lucky that I am one of three founders at Assembly with deep operational investment and just kind of experiences across the global mobility ecosystem in which we're really excited about bringing that knowledge, those lessons learned, that those partnerships to bear on, on behalf of our companies. And I believe kind of talking about the empowerment of the entrepreneur, I believe going forward that the, the firms that are going to provide the most value in a genuine way are going to be subject matter experts. They're going to be people that are very, very deep within the, the things that they, they care most about. There's going to be these ancillary lessons that you learn, you know, sitting on boards, working with companies, um, you know, in, in your prior experience and ways in which you can bring that to bear in, in the private sector amongst an entrepreneurial ecosystem. But it's really just building an amazing group with diverse experiences, um, whether that's geographic, whether that's sector, whether that's what have you, that will bring real value to entrepreneurs because entrepreneurs want capital. They need capital to grow their businesses, but I would offer what they want more and what they need more is Intel access and networks. And you have to start from the premise that I need to bring that to bear. And if I'm not, then I need to figure out how I can. Yeah, because I mean, you're putting in right nowhere near the the hours or time that it takes on the, on their side to actually execute on on the plan. But if I if I interpret right, it's really providing you know, the things you you said in Intel network access, um, judgment, and, and trying to help kind of course course correct and get them on the right path. And I think that's why it goes to the point around trust. Like I need to trust my CEO that that she is going to make the right decisions when I'm not in that room. I need to trust that that COO or CFO that they're going to have you know, incredibly high integrity. I need to trust that head of sales that he's going to do everything on the up and up. And that that is built over time, obviously. But it's, you know, it's it sounds maybe an old adage, but it's about just working with great people, you know, and, yeah. and making sure that's where you start. I, I'll take an A team with a B idea all day long if I think they're going to execute on a huge opportunity. Than I will with a you know an a, a, a idea with a C team because there's there's bumps you're going to hit that are going to be a lot harder with if you're not working with the folks that have those attributes that you value most. Yeah, I think it makes makes a lot of sense. And and, and Gabriel, I'd be curious. I mean, I'm sure some of the the fundamentals are similar, but again, looking at the diversity of what you guys are doing. So you mentioned switch gears and, and who they're selling to versus, I know, you know, Am Ampere was one of the investments in the electrified aircraft space. And you, you got, whether it's public facing like the, the business models and ability to um, actually put together a, a plan and, and execute on it looks very different in all those areas. So, so how, how are you guys thinking about the diversity of, of uh, expertise that it takes to be, uh, I guess, provide this type of insight and, and leadership? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Chris nailed a lot of the key points, right? Coachability, team that really is willing to work together and has integrity. I think a lot of it, if, if you look at the role that both Chris and I play, a lot of it has to do with the networks of people to whom we can connect our entrepreneurs and the people with whom we're working. And uh, for me personally, I, I place a lot of, uh, a lot of value and in integrity of introductions, right? If I'm going to introduce you to each other, I, I believe in what you're doing and I want to help you both find that value. Uh, and so having that integrity and that trust between each other, as Chris already said, is just critical. Uh, if I don't, if I don't have confidence, you're going to follow through on whatever it is I'm introducing you to do. I'm a lot less likely to want to help. So we really look at how do we work with founders that are really committed to the cause that they're, you know, that they're working on, uh, that have the integrity to say, you know what, I don't, this isn't working. I don't know. Uh, that, that have the self-awareness and the self the ability to self-reflect and see what's not working. And when, when we do need to pivot, uh, having been in a number of different startups before, I've, I've seen both sides of how that can go. Uh, failure to pivot at the right time equals you know, death in some cases, or at least a slowdown. Uh, the ability to, 
to self-correct is, is really a key thing. And then I think the diversity of the founding team is also really important, you know, thinking about how do I see the world differently than my co-founder or my, my employees? How do we take advantage of those, those differences and those different ways of seeing the world? Um, at Elemental, we think a lot about the Ohana, the family uh, or the sort of collective. And we really try to build relations across our company, uh, our companies rather, not because they have a lot in common in terms of the problems they're trying to solve necessarily to your point. You know, there's everything from aviation to switch gears to, uh, you know, all sorts of other things, food and egg types things, but because we have shared goals, right? We, we've all kind of jumped on the same bandwagon around climate tech impact on serving frontline communities. And by sort of collaborating across each other, there are a lot of ways to solve problems that we wouldn't necessarily seen because they're framed from a different perspective. They're framed from a different lens, even though in many ways, the problem set is the same. Uh, I was really interested actually, just a quick anecdote. When I started working actually with an elemental portfolio company, I was consulting with a company called DroneSeed, which is an elemental portfolio company. Uh, this is after I left Lime. I was amazed by how the problems that DroneSeed was facing in many ways were similar to those that we had at Lime, which hmm. is to say for drones to be up reforesting after a forest fire, their batteries need to be charged. Well, the same is true on revenue from scooters, right? If you're gonna make revenue on a scooter and ultimately serve your customer, the battery has to be charged. And so the problems in many ways are the same. In the case of a scooter, it's parked somewhere on a city street. In the case of a drone in the forest, it's out in the forest where there's no plug. Um, so how do you solve that problem of, of uptime, of charged devices to do the thing you've set out to do, whether it's helping people ride around a city or, or reforesting after a forest fire? So really interesting to see the, the sort of problems and challenges. Go ahead. I was, was going to say, no, no, that you, you, made, you said the key word there when it comes to the business model and the ability to execute uptime. How are you getting full utilization from that asset? If you've got a fully electrified fleet, but it takes you know four-hour trickle charge to get that asset back on the road, you are sitting so many things idle, which will completely undermine your business model. So when we think about innovation on a forward-going basis around how are we pulling more energy down off transformer? How are we charging more assets? How are we doing so in a way that actually meets the stated goals or the KPIs of the individual mode that you're charging with energy from God knows where? We have to utilize everything that we have to, to make this transition. I don't believe that we can just cut off you know, all aspects of, of traditional oil and gas, as well as things like nuclear, which are inherently once produced incredibly clean. Um, but you know, we have to be honest about transitioning toward renewables and in doing so use the resources we have. But we also have to have a mandate to make sure that we're doing so, to, to that, so that our children and our grandchildren have an, eco, an energy ecosystem and a modality ecosystem that's sustainable and, and and Chris, I know you got to go. So, uh, feel, I guess maybe, uh, Gabriel, I'm going to want to follow up on your, on your comment, uh, real quick and, and dig one, one step deeper, but, uh, Chris, any closing thoughts? I really appreciate you, uh, you joining and sharing. I, my only closing thought is I wish we had more time. Um, I, and I, and I, I love that I'm leaving this early to catch a train that makes me feel better given the, uh, the subject matter of this topic, but it, it's really a pleasure to, to meet those of you. I'd had a chance to talk. The things I care about most, as I talked about, are working with great entrepreneurs and being a part and helping where I can great ideas. So, I mean, there's a couple of discussions that we already had. Um, you know, we were looking at all aspects of autonomy, electrification, manufacturing, logistics, supply chain, um, airline, sea, and space. So if you're an entrepreneur or no one that is excited to work with people that care about those things, and, and again, these second and third order effects we're talking about, I'd love to talk to you. And for those of you that are in Michigan, you know, are we, we're offices in Detroit and Berlin. Uh, we, we focus on this Western world. Um, I'd love to get together with you, you know, and have, talk about where we can actually collaborate and, and what opportunities there are. So Brandon, thanks again for having me. And, and I'm sorry, I can't say any later. Yep. Thank you. Safe travels. Thanks. I'll take it. Bye guys. Cool. So, so Gabriel, back to your, uh, your, your note, your, what you were saying about uh, making connections. I'd, I'd be curious how you how you think about making sure that you're uh, prioritizing and putting putting the effort in, in place in the right way. So you mentioned like drone seed and, and lime and these, uh, yeah, technology make, makes sense. Um, I, I have to imagine there's a lot. I mean, you, you have what, 100 companies in the, the portfolios and it's not. Over 130 now. Yeah. So, so it's not not small. How, how do you, I guess, what, what goes into this kind of matchmaking and trying to figure out, okay, where does it actually make sense for two founders to be talking about how, how they're approaching the same challenges and potentially working together versus trying to force fit it? Yeah, it's a good question. Sometimes there's matchmaking that's just obvious, right? You sort of pattern match in your head of, ooh, this, 
you just said something and I know I talked to this other CEO that had the same problem the other day and we needed we need to put you two together because you're, you're both struggling with the same thing or you've solved a thing that I heard from this other CEO. So uh, in, in the case of Elemental, you know, I have regular calls with many of the CEOs in my portfolio to try to figure out what is going on? What are the challenges you're facing? And, and when we identify a solution that, you know, you can quickly kind of see across, oh, there's, there's someone else that's dealt with that already. We should talk. Uh, some of it's just the ad hoc putting together of people. So whether it's digital and trying to create digital opportunities for connection uh, or in person, once that's more, more regular again, uh, having our CEOs come together, we have a summit annually that all our CEOs are invited to, to, to get together and to connect with each other. And um, I think a lot of the value is just that random interaction that, that happens. I mean, that's why conferences exist in many ways, right? Is for those random, spontaneous, serendipitous moments where you realize, oh, we're, we're struggling with something similar. I know piece of my role in some ways is simply creating the space for those connections to happen. In some ways, it's the pattern matching piece of like, ooh, you and you, like, you need to talk. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and many times that that you need to talk can lead to all sorts of other things, which can lead to them introducing someone else that helped them solve whatever the problem might have been. Yeah, it makes sense. So I, we've had a, uh, a few questions come in. I want, want to get real, real quick to, uh, to the Q&A session in, in a couple minutes here. But I, I guess maybe the last kind of open on your question about Gabriel, any, any kind of parting thoughts on this session, anything that you, uh, yeah, we're hoping to talk about or, or want to get across. I think it's, I think it's really exciting times for mobility in general and for climate tech more broadly. Uh, I think actually, if I, if I may grab one out of the comments here, Chris Smiley had made a point uh, about sort of, are we looking at the right problems? You know, I, I think there's a tremendous amount of money and, and effort being poured into electric vehicles, which is great. They, they are better than, than ICE, uh, ICE cars uh, in a lot of ways. But I, I would argue that, you know, if we look bigger picture, what are some of the bigger ways that we could solve some of these problems? Some of them, we already have it. It's walking, it's biking, it's, you know, sort of 15 minute cities. It's how do we live closer to the things we need to, to go to every day so that we don't have to get in any kind of car gas electric or otherwise mm -hmm. uh, but can in fact walk bike take public transit to to that place uh, the second thing Chris pointed out was was around shipping and so forth I think there's grounds for opportunity there in terms of what what sort of things we use to move goods around the world um, recently came across a company straight line aviation which is really interesting it's airships uh, so think blimps giant blimps that can carry tons of cargo I don't know if this is the solution. I, I, you know, no idea. But I think it's really interesting to think how can we solve some of the problems that we have around climate, uh, around moving things and people around, without necessarily having to totally reinvent things. Uh, you know, again, biking and walking are a classic example. Build some better infrastructure, and many people can take many of their trips on a bike or walking. And we're seeing that growth, right? Yeah. Rad Power Bikes has raised what three hundred million this year. Um, there's a lot of activity in the e-bike sector in, in all sorts of things. So like there are enablers making this happen, but I think some of it's stepping back thing. Do we actually need lots of technology solutions or is it other things? So really interesting, you know, what we can do. Oh, I'm being corrected on the airships versus blimp. My apologies. I, I wanted to give a visual image of what it might be as opposed to a technical definition. But <clears throat> at any rate, uh, I, I guess those would be my closing thoughts. Uh, and I'll, with that, turn it over to you for the questions. Yeah, this question of kind of are are we asking or are we uh, are we asking the right question and going after the right problems? I, I think is one of the fundamental ones that I, I still struggle with. Right. So, I mean, the regardless what I have parked in my driveway out here, the fact that I didn't drive to the office and back today, I've <laughs> there, there's been less of an impact on the environment than yep. whatever I would have taken. And I, and I think that's something that uh, there are these over. So on, on the vehicle side, having lightweight. Um, aerodynamic vehicles that are used in the most efficient way possible and we're thinking about the way that we're moving people not not just thinking about okay what how do we how do we improve the propulsion system in this vehicle but we're actually taking this zoomed out systematic uh system holistic approach i think is, is yeah certainly the right question to be asking and i think that ties into another question we had here in uh or i guess a, a statement that uh, i'd like to make uh, from you i'd like to make a flight today with zero emissions not 2050 and I, yeah, I don't know what, what that looks like, but I guess what, what, what are your thoughts on kind of the, uh, I guess anything to say on that, on that topic or what are your thoughts on kind of prioritizing the, the pace of improvement versus kind of just focusing on the end goal? Uh, well, I guess, you know, prioritizing improvement versus the end goal, we, we obviously have well, to, I can, I can clarify. I think that was a poor, poorly worded question, but so, so one of the, uh, 
one of the examples that, that given um, is like electric vehicles, for example. If if we could flip the switch right now and say 2040, pick your date, everyone's driving electric vehicles. We're, we're still not going to meet our climate goals because we're going to pollute for the next 20 years. And so, so that's where like the, the slope of how we actually get to this, this end goal has a, has a huge impact on uh, kind of the, the system effects, I guess. Yeah. Well, I mean, to, to use that specific example on the electric vehicle side of things, I, again, I would say thinking about all the trips we take, do they need a car in general? Uh, it, could I, could I use an electric bike? And I think what we're seeing is an explosion of people realizing, Oh, I, I could actually, I could use an electric bike for X number of trips. That's not everyone. That's not every trip. That's not in every environment. I'm not arguing that everyone should jump on an electric bike and that's the end. Uh, however, what I would say is we, we are seeing people make different choices, partly for COVID reasons. If I used to ride the bus and I'm a little concerned about air quality now, I might be switching to a bike or a scooter or something like that. Uh, partly it's congestion reasons, right? Our cities are more and more congested. That's bad. On the other hand, it's actually sort of good in the sense that it pushes people to think differently. Like, do I actually want to sit in a car for X number of minutes or hours per day just to get to and from this place? Or could I do something different to your point? Stay in my basement and work, get on a bike, get on a scooter, take a public train, whatever. There, there are lots of options, right? Um, we're also seeing innovation from the private sector. I mentioned earlier the massive amounts of investment. And I'll take an example of, of a train side. Look at Brightline down in Florida. They're trying to prove that high-speed rail in the United States can work. And they're doing it in part by tying together not just the train, but the mobility services at the end of the train. So they've got an app. They've got bikes and scooters tied to it. Like The idea is create an ecosystem to enable me to move. So I don't think that all of us simply switching how we get around now from a gas car to an electric car solves the problem at all. To your point, even if it's 2040 or if it's 2025 for that matter, and we all switch to electric cars, we haven't solved the problems because the problems aren't just climate change. And Chris earlier mentioned about cobalt and so forth. You know, there are problems with batteries as we, as we look at them right now, but there are also problems around things like congestion and the amount of wasted time. Think about how much time we waste sitting in traffic. Uh, the amount of highway deaths, right? We're seeing higher numbers of highway deaths, fatalities around pedestrians and cyclists this year than we've seen in years. And part of that's because we developed bad habits while we were while we were driving on highways that were suddenly empty, um, part of it, you know, I, I don't know if, I, 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 don't, I won't pretend to know why it's happening, um, but we've sort of gotten to this point where in the United States in particular, we'll accept 40,000 plus deaths on highways every year from cars. We don't have to do that. Like we could choose to do something different. So I don't think it's about let's all flip over to electric cars and suddenly everything's better. There are lots of externalities that are not simply climate um, that, are, that are touched on this mobility ecosystem. So. Um, I, I guess what I'd say is progress takes a lot of forms. And yes, we need to move from ICE to, to electric uh, when it comes to cars. And we need to think about a lot of other aspects to, to sort of the challenge of mobility, in this case, in cities. Yeah, and, and I, I don't think we necessarily need to go deep here. But uh, yeah, I'd also say I'm, I'm not sure necessarily full of electrics, the right application for, I mean, I think hydrogen, maybe even the internal combustion engine is going to have a long life for certain applications. But uh, the, the, that doesn't... Uh, the general statement you made, all, all, I, I certainly agree with. Um, I think Vince has, has an interesting question, though. So how, how should startups think about capitalizing on the infrastructure bill funding? Yeah, that's a great question. <laughs> uh, first of all, I don't, I don't know. It depends on what kind of startup and what kind of space, et cetera. It depends. You know, if you're a bike company, I don't know that there's much for you to capitalize on uh, in the, the current bills, uh, Build Back Better or, or infrastructure. Um, I think that the, I think the biggest picture is looking as we talked in the beginning around how does policy intersect with what you're doing. Mm -hmm. So you've got a startup, you're working on a technology, how is policy pushing for or against what you're trying to do? And that policy might come from the federal level in the form of you know, reconciliation bills or whatever. It might come from state level, it might come from local level. So as a, as a company, you exist in a world in which policy guides some of your decisions, whether you know it or not. And I think the way a startup can think about that you know, from, from a sort of big picture perspective is, where are there opportunities either to solve some problem that the public sector has decided is a real problem that it wants to solve and it's going to throw money at, in which case maybe, maybe there is a grant available. Maybe there is some pot of funding that will fund a pilot for you to do a thing. Uh, depending on your technology, you know, that, that could very well be a real thing in this next wave of money that'll come out of the federal government. Um, yeah. But a second thing might be the, the barriers in the way to, to building your company. Is there a policy in place that's, that's you know, silly, that, that blocks something? I don't know, probably many of you saw this, but the Port of LA recently um, there was a there was a rule in place where you can only have two shipping containers stacked high for aesthetic reasons, which was a big part of the bottleneck at the port of LA. 
and whether or not it happened from a tweet, but a, a person <laughs> tweeted in a whole, I'm sure happy I've read this, but fascinating tweet thread, fascinating look at this. But this guy basically outlined, here's how we solve this problem. First of all, we let you stack higher than two containers high. Um, so is there a policy barrier in place that is creating a reason that your startup can't get off the ground or that you have a, a challenge there? Um, and Vince, that doesn't directly answer your question around the, how startups capitalize on, on the infrastructure bill, but I think the bigger picture is depending on what you're doing, there may be financial opportunities, or it may be just you need to look at what barriers or new sort of solution opportunities there are in policies that pass at any level. Yep, yeah, make, makes sense. Uh, so I'd say maybe last question here, and then we'll wrap up and get to uh, the last breakout session. So uh, Nate, I think a good, good question here. So yeah, what, what about late adopters who, whether it's obsolescence or old habits or whatever, who are slow taking on a technology? And EV was was brought up here, but I think that could be extrapolated pretty pretty well to other topics. What what are your thoughts on getting to the late adopters? I think, in particular, as the EV side of things go, uh, we don't have a problem with late adopters yet, and we won't for quite a while, right? We we're still in the early adopters phase of EVs. Um, that said, I think the late adopters right now actually might be people still buying new gas cars. I, I look at ICE, you know, engines that, that are being bought in the next, so let's call it three to five years. And, you know, most, most companies are working on phasing out or moving towards electric vehicles. Not all of them have made commitments yet, but in many cases they are, which means the supply chains and parts and repair, all that stuff will follow, right? We'll, we'll move towards a world in which EVs are the dominant paradigm, I think. Uh, and if that happens, then what does that mean for the internal combustion car that you buy next year? How long is the life cycle on that? What's the value of that? Does it drop off a cliff on the secondary market? Because like, who wants one anymore when you can all switch to EVs, which are faster, cleaner, cost less to keep in, you know, maintained, cost less to charge. Like, I think there's going to be, that'll be the interesting thing on the late adopters piece of thing. We're not there yet to be clear, but I think there's a point somewhere here in the next X years, probably less than 10, maybe less than five where that becomes a real thing. Yeah. Uh, in terms of moving people along who are maybe late adopters to adopt some things, some people won't adopt whatever the thing is unless forced to do so or unless there's no other option, right? So there's sort of the late adopter piece of like, I'm not gonna do that unless it's forced upon me or I don't have another choice. Then there's the like, oh yeah, I could do that, but I'm a little unsure, range anxiety, whatever, something like that. And I think those barriers are falling. And part of that's just technological innovation, right? As, as we innovate our way out of range anxiety, for example, if I can drive from here to wherever, most of my trips can be made electric. And at some point you, you try it. I would say the try it aspect of things is really happening with shared e-bikes. Uh, one of the things that I think is fascinating about Lime and, and competitors to Lime, when we put the e-bikes on the street, I would watch people ride them and it was amazing to watch because suddenly their eyes light up and you're like, whoa, this is magic. Uh, and there are numbers actually on the New York uh, city bike there that just came out um, talking about how once people have tried an e-bike, they tend to go back to an e-bike as opposed to a non-e-bike. And so I think some of your late adopters, you just got to try it. Like the first time you ride in the Tesla, you realize, whoa, this experience is a very different experience. In fact, it's a better experience. And so I think some late adopters, it's just that you have to try it at some point. And maybe you don't try it until your best friend has one or your partner has one or whatever and says, try this thing. It's really amazing. Yeah. Yeah. All, all, all good thoughts. Uh, so yeah, Gabriel, really appreciate you, you uh, participating. I think yeah, we really appreciate your thoughts here. Um, everyone who joined in is still here. Likewise, I appreciate it. So not, uh, yeah, I think hopefully impactful. Uh, grouping hopefully able to make some connection connections we'll have a uh we'll have a second breakout session here also i mean not not a huge group which so i really appreciate you guys taking the dive here for the uh the first ever future mobility session i, I don't expect it to be the uh, the last so yeah keep your eyes out the future mobility podcast is brought to you by fev for more than 40 years fev has been a global leader in the development of mobility solutions for the transportation industry with a team of experts passionate about innovation through the design, development, integration, and validation of turnkey vehicle and propulsion system technologies, FEV is your partner for the development of future mobility solutions. I'm your host, Brandon Bartnick. If you want to learn more or get in contact, share feedback or questions, the best place to find me is on LinkedIn at Brandon Bartnick. Thanks for listening.